Pranakasha live stream. Hey folks, it's Matt at Pranakasha Productions, and today we are talking with singer, um, engineer, songwriter, YouTuber, Sahiljit Singh. Before we get started, folks, uh, if, if you like this video, please uh, press the like button, give us a like, and if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Um, if you really like this video a lot, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And then, of course, leave a comment, start a conversation down there. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you. All those things make YouTube happy with us and make it want to help promote the channel and make life good for everyone. I second all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sahiljit is from India, Delhi, right? Yes. And well, we... actually, there, there, there is a town near Delhi. It's called Dehradun. First of all, hi to all the music okay. lovers and all the people who are tuning into Mad Bhai's channel. And greetings, Mad Bhai. Thank you for inviting me in. And, and uh, uh, we messed up already because, I mean, whenever we send each other messages, we always say either namaste or I like yes. to say namaskar. Yes. So, yeah. Namaskar. Right. And so that's... Namaskar to the world. Namaskar. And then that means namaskar is more than just hello. It, it means like, I honor you, right? Yes. I basically, I, I greet to the soul inside you. Right. Not just the person standing in front of me, but you as an entire soul. Right. Or you can even yeah. go, you can be so bold as to say, I, I recognize God in you and I honor that within you. You know? Yes, 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 correct. That, that's correct interpretation, Matt Bhai, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, even walking, meeting someone on the street, there's like this spiritual connection that just is built right into Eng Indian culture, which was the first thing that when I went to India, I've only been there once, but when I got there, I immediately got that and I loved it. And I went to yes. Maharashtra area in Mumbai, and up there, most people say namaste, I believe. That's what we were saying. Namaste is pretty much the same yes. meaning as namaskar, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, if you look at it, aesthetically, it's the same thing. But it's just some people, namaskar is a more, how should I put it? It's more closer to what people, how people were greeting each other in earlier times. In and ancient namaste times. Is what Yes. And namaste is what got into the prevalent into the society in these days. And people uh, also greet through namaste, but it's more or less means the same thing. So namaste is a little bit more informal, would you say? I can. Yeah. Yeah. We can say that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I, I yeah, I, I greet even my father as namaste when I see him after a long time. Okay. Or, or when I'm talking to him on phone, that's my first greeting to him. Namaste, Papaji. Papaji. So, like, it's, a, oh. it's, it's more of a informal. Oh, okay. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well. And, uh, and, and as you were saying, rightly so, India is uh, like, I have traveled India on my motorbike, entire of it, I would say. Wow. Because when I was 25 years old, I had a 
break up with a girl <laughs> and and my and my grandfather who was a freedom fighter who uh, fought for the freedom of india from the britishers oh, he wow. had once told me when i was very small and very young he had once told me that you should whenever you get a chance you should you know travel and see your own country to really grow as a person and to really feel the feel the country as a whole what india is so wow. he had encouraged me to see india and when as i said that when i was 25 i had a horrible breakup and i thought that okay fine i should i should maybe this is the time there was a calling from within me i just took a motorbike and i went out on a very long went wow. across triangle from mumbai to central india towards kolkata and then up north again towards kashmir and then all the way down to india so i have uh, i have traveled india on many occasions south india i did separately okay. and what i observed was as you were saying taking a cue from what you were saying about india and the very spirit of india i would say yes india i have seen people who are may not be very well off financially mm-hmm. who may not have all the ways and means to live life materialistically but you will always see them having some sort of philosophy inside them so they mm. are very philosophical and and spiritually awakened people in general of course we have all kind of people in all everywhere but in general what i observed was people in india are very uh, they, they are more self aware and okay. they are they are chasing happiness more than anything else ah and always looking for an excuse to celebrate and be happy <laughs> yeah yeah i really got that too and there's a there's a that's deep... why we have so many festivals <laughs> Well, it's like it's really interesting because what I got was for one thing everybody seemed to be very well connected to their heart. You know? And um there's just a great sense of humanity there is what I picked up. You know, True. I loved it. True. And um thanks thanks wow. man bye for your beautiful appreciation about my countrymen and yeah. it's true indeed. and though if i may add because i have lived in uh, many cities also i mm-hmm. was because of my it uh, studies and work i lived in a city near mumbai called as pune it's it's western i would say west india and uh, i have lived in chennai you must have heard of that city these are the popular cities chennai mumbai delhi i have lived across all the metropolitan cities mm-hmm. <clears throat> the metropolitan people are very much similar to how you would see people in maybe another part of the world in another capital city of a big country they okay. are somewhat similar in their in their lifestyle ways like uh, they look forward to weekend being mm-hmm. the day when they you know they can really unwind and 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 live life uh, otherwise they are chained by the corporate system and uh, that's how the work culture and lifestyle is for metropolitan people okay majorly however the two tier cities 
because India is a huge and vast country. So the other cities, then the metropolitan ones, that is where you will find people more uh, relaxed, people more yeah. living life, okay, and people more connected to the to the idea of India, to the spirit of India mm. that everybody have in their mind when they think about India. So that that is also has been my observation. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, when you tell me about your motorcycle tour, immediately what comes to mind is there's there's a famous guru in India now, um, Sadhguru, who also, he always talks about he had a similar type of thing when he was young, got on a motorcycle and traveled everywhere. So... Oh yes, he's a he's a marvelous guru. He's a beautiful human being, and uh, I follow his uh, words and his teachings. Not as in like of I wouldn't call myself a follower, because mm-hmm. a follower is somebody who would only maybe perhaps only follow that guru. But I do connect with his teachings, and I love his ideology of uh, you know and his straightforwardness towards explaining the seekers his uh, mindset and his philosophies and i do connect with them deeply and instantaneously ever since i have i have discovered him and of course yeah well he is a rock star guru yeah. he travels on motorbikes and 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 I, I think he also has mentioned the belief that i had intrinsically intrins Intrins is is that correct English? Intrinsically, yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, yes. The the belief that I had. So he also uh, has the same belief that motorbike riding on a motorbike represents freedom, represents uh, sort of a you know a free attitude towards life, and it helps you be very self-confident in exploring what you want to explore. So motorbike for me also riding a motorbike represents the same thing. And that's why I, I, I connect with Sadhguru on that level as well. But he has done some marvelous job guiding the people across the world, not only in India with his spirituality and his idea of, uh, of, uh, of uh, exploring oneself Mm-hmm. through spirituality and and various means and and yogic exercises that are there in his module and the way he he represents his isha foundation so yes i am a huge fan of his true that's great <clears throat> okay now the other thing that came to my mind is you said you went up into kashmir so are you yes. um are you familiar with kashmir shaivism uh, kashmir there's a, there's a, saintism uh, there's a brand of Shiva philosophy called Kashmir Shaivism. Are you aware of that? Uh, I have heard of it, but I have not. I wouldn't say I deeply know about it. But of course, Kashmir uh, Shaivism comes from the very fact that uh, our Lord Shiva, we still believe, resides in Mount Kailash, which is in Kashmir. Okay. So the Kashmir, the so the Kashmir. Uh, followers ancient time before the Mughal it's a little controversial subject in India people because you know there is always a friction about Kashmir and status of Kashmir and but uh, all the Kashmiris I would say before the Mughals invaded India the Mughals are 
they are they were the people from persia and the land of persia who were following islam religion and they invaded northern part of india and and the kashmir and and all the kashmiris who were who were uh, by the virtue of uh, the being in that land of shiva were shiva followers they converted to islam were, were forcefully made to convert to islam long time ago in the 13th and the 14th century and after that the islam religion was prevalent in the valley though there were some hindus there also who were practicing what they were practicing uh, earlier and they didn't choose to convert so people in today's time if they go to kashmir they will say see more of islam and islamist uh, religion being prevalent there however really? i thought most of yes. the is muslims ended up going to pakistan oh no 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 uh, the muslims from uh, the rest of the part of india majority had exodus to pakistan not all of them though because it was a free will of the person they were not right. forced at any point of time so okay. some chose to go the majority chose to go to the go to pakistan who which was made as the islamist republic so mm-hmm. they it was a natural choice for them to join them but they there were other muslims who identified with india as being their motherland and they chose to stay since it oh, was okay. a free will of the person and it was not forceful so some chose to stay here and the others went but kashmir was different kashmir was uh, had already had been at least 80% of it islamist state state as in not like <laughs> what is the islamist state today oh really okay but, i didn't know that yeah <clears throat> yeah so even today you will see 90% of population in in the core kashmir being islam really uh, oh wow uh, i did not know yeah. that okay i didn't know is that yeah. high of a percentage because i the part of india that i went to like i said was maharashtra i stayed in a village kind of outside of mumbai and um oh there um there were there were it seemed like the muslims and the hindus got along fine oh yes like, in was, in most of the part of india they get along fine even part i stay at we'll see one or two houses and people are in general fine people have been coexisting harmoniously uh, since centuries this yeah. is all political and when politics interfere and things get little messy yeah, but people have a lot of love for each other i started to make friends with one of the shopkeepers who his shop was a com- he sold all it was right outside the ashram where i was staying so he was mostly catering to the people that were staying in the ashram you know and um he was nice. selling all kinds of hindu things like for example i i bought this statue of krishna at his shop oh wow lovely nice awesome yes. awesome and then also i have i also bought this statue of shiva oh nice and i i also have a nataraj in the other room that i also bought so anyways plus some beautiful batiks and things like that and as i got to know him about 3 days in i I finally realized that he was actually Muslim. <laughs> Even though his shop, everything in his shop was catering to Hindu customers. And then he told me that um I, so I was like, how in the heck can you keep those two things straight in your life? And he told me that at least in that part of of India 
like there was um it was a thing it was almost like a sporting event where um Hindus would like pick their champion scholar and then the Muslims would pick their champion scholar and they'd both go up on stage and they would debate and then the audience would sit there and watch and and try to decide who won you know <laughs> that's so, true that's true that's true people people still today have a very healthy mindset of accepting each other's religion people don't have in general people don't have any animosity between them because even because i'll tell you why i'll tell you why because fundamentally every person who identifies himself as an indian but muslim or christian or any other religion has been a hindu in past yeah. with his family lineage so so they all have that kind of a you know acceptance with each other that is born from that very fact and uh, it's the politics that has messed up but people are totally fine like you said it's a beautiful example somebody selling hindu idols but he is a muslim see it's such a beautiful example of 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 india in general that's what people across the world identify india as a democracy as a as a as a as a place where religions multiple religion religious people can exist and coexist in a very peaceful manner and a diverse culture that's what is india that's right and that yeah that uh, that's what people identify like everything else has been messed up by politics but that's what it is but but i am happy you went to maharashtra because i have spent a great deal of time in maharashtra in mumbai in pune and i can tell you the loveliest people are there they are very very welcoming right. and they are very rooted especially like you said you were in the little rural part of maharashtra am i right right yeah it was in a, a small village It was a, it's so a, nice. a small village called Ganeshpuri. Oh wow! Yeah, that's just amazing. Because village people is what for me is truly India. <laughs> right. Of course. I mean, it had a gigantic ashram that was associated oh, wow. with it. So I mean, plus there was a big temple in the the center of the village was the temple to Nityananda, Bhagwan Nityananda. Yes, Swami Nityananda, of course. Yeah, and um, and there and were buses that would come. Like, If I when, may ask, when was I there? Um, yeah, I believe it was two thousand two. It might have been two thousand three. I was there at the same time. <laughs> oh, really? Wow! In in Maharashtra. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Nice, man. Right. Yeah, That's I had a great so... time. I had so much fun. I, I really. I only got to stay there for eleven days because I had just started a new job, so I only had that much vacation. which everyone told me ah. if you're going to india you got to stay like two or three weeks you know yes, But, minimum yeah anyway even even that, even that i will say is not enough <laughs> yeah two or three weeks is just for one single state we have around 28 i would say yeah yeah it was my first time there too so i was i was kind of a i went by myself so i was too afraid to actually go out exploring very much So I mostly just stayed in the ashram, but I I made a couple of friends. Like one of my roommates at, in the ashram, there was I think there was four or five of us that stayed in the same room, 
And when I and you always that's part of the fun is staying in the in an ashram like that is you make friends with these people from all over the world, yeah. you know. True. And True, uh, anyways, one of my friends he he was Indian and he finally um, offered to come t take me to some of the nearby temples and some of the other places outside of the ashram and outside of the village. So once I yeah. had a companion that kind of knew how things worked, then then it was neat. I, he kind of toured me around. It was it was. Really cool. So was that the first impression of India you had? Like, was that your first trip? Well, my first impression was when I arrived at the airport in Mumbai. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, that but may even not have so, been a good impression. Well, but, uh, but surprisingly, even like the baggage handlers and the guys doing my tickets, I even like hit it off with them immediately. I said, like, namaste. Okay, so I was kind of got I, before that. Okay, this you'll probably find this really entertaining, but yeah, <laughs> several months before that, I had I discovered the Chopra Mahabharat. Oh, uh, oh, oh, I found it on DVD and I started watching, and I must have watched like at least 40 episodes. You know, it, it was in Hindi, but it had English subtitles so I could figure out what's oh, going on. So, oh, and in there, everybody was very formal and, and, you know, so I, I was, I was already bought into all that. I mean, in that, in the Mahabharata, I mean, you don't just say Namaskar. I mean, you bow down and you touch the person's feet. Yes. If, the, if, yes. if you want to show yes, yes. full honor and stuff. And I don't, yes. Do people still do that? People still do that. In villages, they do that. With the elderly, they do that. Okay. And if somebody has achieved a great deal in life, like somebody has ach achieved enlightenment or maybe has done great deed for the social cause, people would still greet them with the total bow like right. to their feet. And the they amazing, still do that. The amazing thing is like, like in the West, the only example you have of that is like in the old Star Trek or like in Gilligan's Island or something where it's always these really primitive people will go, oh, you know, like this. And you always feel like they're being so silly. But like in the Mahabharata, when they when they would do it, 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 it the person would always do it with so much humility. Like it yeah. wasn't like they were degrading themselves. It was more no, like they no, were just completely offering their total love for this person. And they just did it because they had to. They, I mean, that was how they would express their love would be like touching the person's feet, you know, kneeling down that's and a beautiful they, observation yeah you have a very nice observation Matt. Like, it's very nicely observed and you are dead right on that so when you do that bow the body language and the way you do it is not really putting yourself down it's actually recognizing and acknowledging the person in front of you and really really giving the respect to that person without putting yourself down so it's a very beautiful observation you have made about Indian greeting ways. Absolutely right, Matt Pai. Ah, that's great. Right. Yeah. So I was very much taken by, um, yeah, the Mahabharata. Oh, Mahabharata, I say, is the mother of all soap operas. Yeah. It has everything. It has everything. Drama, betrayal, family, friendship, war, everything. Yeah. It is like so... And can you imagine it was written many a thousand years ago? Yeah. Can you imagine that kind of imagination? And in fact, in fact, uh, the very fact 
that uh, you know the, some studies some scientific studies and uh, what we believe is in yoga according to our vedas yoga is the cycle of uh, of uh, how should i put it in exact english words the ages yoga it's it's like the, that they will what we call times times are changing so the times that humanity will experience on on in their existence would be in divided into four cycles and right now we are in kali yug according to vedas and that was a different yug when uh, mahabharat was written that was such so, a yuga right yes the previous so okay. what 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 i am not 100% sure i am not 100% sure uh, whether it was treta or sat that i am not 100% sure about okay but what i am trying <clears throat> to say is there is a philosophy which says that man was more advanced than what they are today and then we lost all of it and then mm-hmm. we started in this yuga with zero like with nothing and then stone age and we learned how to make fire and from there we have come to where we are to flying airplanes and going to mars and we are still technologically advancing however there is a theory that says that man was more powerful they were more advanced weapons and if you look at mahabharata it explains the weaponry used in the war is quite similar to atomic bomb that we are that man made much 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 later than when mahabharata was written so it's very fascinating to me the imagination of the of the writer of mahabharata and it all happened we have proofs still proofs of uh, of that time existing archaeologists keep digging up stuff which which uh, which kind of verifies mahabharata very okay. much so so uh, it was it like it kind of testifies that yes man was more technologically advanced because the imagination of mahabharata writer is not only his imagination is what actually really happened and if you study mahabharata it kind of sorts of proves that those weaponry systems and those uh, ways of living of man was very much advanced and we had access to certain technologies which we believe now advanced human we have achieved but if you study those uh, those scriptures do you, you you realize that man was actually already very advanced but somewhere in between we lost everything what happened i don't know maybe same thing happened as had happened with dinosaur but i can't say but uh, also, it's very interesting to me it's very fascinating also i mean there's also i mean there's all kinds of different beings in the mahabharat you know besides just what we consider yeah. humans there's and then there and then of course in the ramayana there's people flying around and things that are kind of like flying Super saucers human. yeah yeah yes. all that kind of stuff yeah I'll, okay i'm going to ask you a question in the mahabharat what's the whole thing centers around this game of dice right that's the thing that yes yes, yes. causes all the trouble all the trouble um so do you take that literally or is brother- this Or is this game of dice like a metaphor for something else? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? You, would you take that literally, 
as this game of dice, this is what really happened? Or is it is it sort of like a metaphor, like symbolic of something else that's putting all these karmic forces into motion? Both. I would say both. It actually happened too, because that game existed and it still exists in a different form in India. People still play that game with dice. Okay. So it actually happened, but also metaphorically, because what it says is... Uh, it speaks about the overconfidence nature of a man, where it can lead and the desire to win, what it can lead to. Right. Because the eldest brother who lost everything by putting everything, his family also at stake in that game, always believed that he could win. It was his ego talking to him that he could win in that game. And he was just putting everything online. And it was... Uh, it's it's a very beautiful message in there that you have to have there is a fine line between being between self-belief and overconfidence and if that line is crossed a man stands to lose everything there's also, there's other similar themes in mahabharat like there's another theme i w- i forget which king he falls madly in love with this incredibly beautiful woman Despite yeah. the fact that his guru says you you should not do this, this is the most this is gonna nothing good is gonna come from this. You must not do this, and he yeah. does it anyway. And then his life falls into ruin. You know, there's sounds this, like Adam and Eve. Yeah, there's always this theme where like they even know what their destiny is, and they know what they're supposed to do, but for some reason they can't do the right thing. They get, you know. And isn't then that they human fall into all this. Isn't that we all do? We all <laughs> do that. We all know what's good for us, yet we do not follow that good path. Some, some, some very, very, very enlightened soul are able to. But we mostly people we know what is good for us, but we never end up following that path. So yes, it's just so human. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so back but to Mahabharata Kashmir. Is Sorry. Okay, so this we, we, we Mahabharata we, is so fascinating. We can have one episode on Mahabharata entirely. It is oh, so it would take more than one episode. <laughs> uh, it would take, yeah. Um, well, let's. I want to talk a little bit about Kashmir Shaivism. So, I, what I know about it is, is that have you heard of a text called the Shiva Sutras? Shiva, yes, yes, Shiva Sutras, yes. And in there. Um, the mythology behind it is that somewhere in Kashmir, there was this rock where yeah. Shiva himself inscribed these sh- sutras upon. Have you heard? Yes, is, yes. Is that, yes. Is that rock, can people find that rock? Nowadays, can, pil- can pilgrims go to that place? No, because actually it was, there, there is a range of hills. It's called Shivalik range. Okay. So it's not one rock. When it says rock, it means there is a range of mountains okay. where he inscribed those things. <clears throat> and the most sacred of those mountains is Mount Kailash and right. the surroundings. But nobody's allowed to go there. If you, if you, it's very fascinating because Mount Kailasha is in such a location that it can be accessed by India. It can be accessed by Tibbets. Tibbet. Uh, Tibet region people and also a bit by Pakistanis. Tibet, Tibet. It's accessible to all. The geographical location of that mountain is such that it is accessible to 
all these countries. However, all the native people in that part, surrounding that part of the hill. So if even the Tibet people, they worship it in their own way. They think oh. their God resides there. And, uh, and, and uh, we believe our Lord Shiva resides there. But the amount of respect is such that nobody has ever attempted to climb that mountain. Oh, or really? to even go there. Because, this, because they feel that power. It, is, it has something in it. it. Like, you know, the advanced scientists who do not believe in religion, who do not believe in maybe spirituality, they are always looking for facts. They have also found that the mag- magnetic strength around that mountain is super strong. They can't say for sure why. But uh, that they have experienced it and they have written about it. Mm. However, the native people feel that it is absolute disrespect to climb the mountain where yeah. our Lord lives. So it's prohibited by the natives for anyone, even the foreigners, to even attempt to climb. So nobody knows for sure where nobody has gone out to really explore the inscriptions. However, we do mm. believe that it's there. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and then there's also these things that the Shiva Lingam, right? Sacred symbol of Shiva, which is sort of kind of a, and what I heard is within the rivers nearby there, you can find these rocks that are naturally in the shape of a Shiva Lingam. Yes. In the riverbeds yes, and things. Very much, very much, very much. Yes. True, Madhavi. In fact, the state that I live in. Uh, the province I live in, it's Uttarakhand. It also falls under the Shivalik range of mountains. Okay. So from Kashmir to, there is a range of mountains that goes from Kashmir to Himachal to Uttarakhand, where I live, to Nepal. And that's what constitutes that Shivalik range. Because Himalayas is huge. Right. So you will see lingams sprouting from the earth and near the river, even in the land that I live in, all across Himalayas, in that shape. Wow. Okay. We can go on and on and on. <clears throat> yeah, we can go on and on. Okay. The Kroners Project. <laughs> so oh. we're, we're going to switch directions here. So what does that mean? Kroners Kron, Kron, Project? Yes. Uh well, yes, it was started uh, with the thought that uh, it was me and my friend who also had studied with me at A.R. Rahman, the, the music uh, maestro of India, Mr. A.R. Yeah. Rahman. Now he's a doctor. So because uh, he has been awarded doctorate by uh, a university and uh, Dr. A.R. Rahman's music conservatory is where I studied with my friend there. and. After passing out, we thought of uh, having a platform where we could represent an artist, a singer, through that platform, visually as well as sonically. So since we were uh, thinking of representing singers and singers croon, the word is from the English word croon. And then I thought that I need to stylize it because we have this fashion in India to stylize the letters to make it sound interesting. So I thought, let's make it crooners and change the spelling from C to K. So okay. that was the story behind it. I Like, it was just 
me wanting to sound my brand different <laughs> so that's okay. why it's called the groupness project <laughs> okay and you yourself are classically trained singer too yes i i am but in india when we say classically trained we it's such a strong discipline that purists the pure classical trainers trained only trained in classical all okay, so life. so what would you call so yourself then i would then? say i would say i have knowledge of classical music but i would not call myself a classical musician oh, that, okay. that that's the difference yes because a classical uh, trained musician or a classical musician in india is somebody who all his life only pursues classical no mm. light no western knowledge of no brush towards that only hardcore hindustani classical or the second stream of indian classical which is carnatic so that is the person who can call himself theoretically classical musician i have knowledge of it i have learned it but okay. i don't identify myself as a classical musician okay but similar like- way how i have i have been exposed to a little bit of western classical music as well at my conservatory days but i do not identify myself as western classical musician okay um but like you <clears throat> like but you like when you do a pop song are you aware of what raw gets in and what and such things like that or oh well yes mostly but raga library is so huge and big you can always get see raga was a kind of raga interesting raga was classified into what we call in jazz modes mhm so there were modes first the modes came the modes was classification of notes into 10 different uh, categories okay. like pentatonic mode we call it rag bhop uh, thad bhopali mm-hmm. so what happens in uh, rather thad asagri but rag bhopali so we call thads as modes thads is the first categorization of musical notes into okay. 10 categories which is similar to modes just to draw the reference of what they are but then the indian musicians went berserk <laughs> and they started breaking those those modes further into rags based on the emotions that they were evoking most importantly because rag cannot be a rag if it does not evoke a emotion inside you like you can categorize on paper as much as you want the theory theoretically you can categorize and chop those notes and and classify and do all of that but unless there is a emotion being revo- evoked by it then it's not a rag in fact we went as far as categorizing them by 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 the recital time during the day as well so if 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 if, if a rag is supposed to be that particular rag then it has to be sung in morning <clears throat> aesthetically speak aesthetically speak and uh, so that that is what uh, one one second hum huh? all right so that is what uh, basically uh, led people from classifying those 10 thoughts slash modes to further ragas and based on the way they went very intricate with those notes so based on the emotions that those notes were uh, were 
evoking and the permutation and combination different permutation combination of those musical notes as well as more importantly how they were sung they went as intricate as even if uh, while transitioning from one note to another if you do it in a certain way by touching a different semi notes semi tones that would categorize it as a different raga so what yeah. i am trying to say raga library is very 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 huge so for anyone to identify one particular rag is difficult unless they have dedicated their life to it which i have not so what okay. i can identify mostly is thoughts the modes okay the first classification or and certain rags also the popular ones the major ones like asavri like bhairavi like darbari uh, bhopali and ram kalyan yaman kalyan these all are like the famous rags these are easy to somewhat bhimplasi these are easy to identify but if i can listen to a song and say for sure that it's in that rag i do not have the knowledge of all the ragas it will take entire life for me to gather that knowledge it is okay. so vast a library so what i'm getting at is like okay even though you consider yourself a pop singer Yeah. You already have this really huge wealth of knowledge about the theory of Indian music and all this stuff. And I think is that's is that true for most quote popular singers? They have this kind of background where they even though they're not considering themselves classical, they still have quite a bit of training back in a month. It's a very interesting question. It's a very interesting question. I'll tell you. Amongst the musicians musicians fraternity we always judge the musicians here in india if they have the base the fundamental of classical music or not so if somebody is asking me of an opinion of a popular pop singer in india the way he sings can tell me clearly whether he has that knowledge or not and that's how we judge how good or bad they are <laughs> that's our parameter of uh, sort right. of who's we you know, judging who's we? that artist who's that's but but the but or, or the learned listeners whom we call the learned listeners okay they will always judge them by that way but there is a section of uh, artists who has who can identify as pop singers but who have not had a brush of hindustani but are still doing well in the commercial space of music but majority who are sitting on the highest pedestal and are proper pop artists but have a very good knowledge of Wait, proper pop artists in- that's an interesting term <laughs> the, when i say proper pop artists what i mean <laughs> in india is somebody who can sing because we have bollywood music which is not one genre of music but many genres okay. so they might be a someone who is a pop singer who can sing a little westernish also mm-hmm. and also can sound very indian at the same time indian folk also and uh, can sound indian classical also such person would be called as a pop singer in india okay. a proper pop singer <laughs> so that's why it's a little different from uh, the pop singer probably identified okay is there actually a, a sanskrit or hindu ter- hindi term for that no no i'm afraid not okay you just go to english when you have to say we that we have we have for, <laughs> for 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 a folk singer we have like lok gayak lok gayak is a like a folk singer 
but uh, for uh, for uh, there is no sanskrit term for pop singer because it is so recent sanskrit was like okay sanskrit was <laughs> done by then <laughs> i think the, the pop the pop singer came into the picture okay <clears throat> All right, sorry, I, I kind of derailed you on that. Okay, because I find, I mean, when I listen to, I've watched a few Bollywood um, movies, some of them that you've actually recommended to me, and I'm always taken by how, to me, I again, I don't have a whole lot of training. I mean, I did learn some tabla, and I did learn a little bit of how, I learned a little bit of how to play Indian violin, and my teacher was a singer. Um, oh wow! So we learned some of some of the basics. Um, anyway, so even in what's considered pop music, you do hear all these embellishments and all, and this a very wide, very facile voice that can do these amazing things. And it's very, most of the time, very refined. And you can, if you listen closely, you can hear, well, um, they're not just like over in the West, when people do a lot of embellishments and stuff, they're, it's all, they're just kind of going for it and they're just going by their instincts. And it sounds, uh-huh. and it's, it's convincing if they're authentic and they're really in yeah. the space. But in Indian, it's convincing and authentic, but it's also all these techniques that they learned and practice and learn how to do. It's very learned. It's yeah. very learned, very organized, and it has a structure. You're right. Right. You're right, man. It's very structural. Mm-hmm. The way they, they, they approach it is, is, is based on a lot of what we call Riyaz. Riyaz is simply called as practice. Mm-hmm. So we have a term for uh, someone who practices every day, those embellishments. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a method to it. And yes, you're right. It's very, it's very, it doesn't sound like very impromptu or out of place. It sounds structured. That's, that's true. But in Western also, I have seen some singers, like I like this female singer you have, Alicia Keys. Okay. She is good. She is good because when she uh, sings a pop song, you can always tell that she's a, she is just not, like, I don't want to demean the pop music genre. Like, I don't get me wrong. But uh, pop music, if done by a learned artist, is very appealing. Is very appealing. Because it takes off all the... in Like, it's like, how should we put it? It's like food. It's like, sometimes, if you prepare an authentic food to the taste of someone who has never tasted it, but you make sure that it's not too hardcore authentic while you're serving those people who have never tasted it. And you, you, you kind of, you know, give them the food, which is, which is readily acceptable to them. Then that food is what pop music is for the world, I feel. So you, pop music is very beautiful, but if done by the right people in the right way, so, because nobody wants to apply too much mind. Listeners these days have very less attention span. They don't want to apply too much mind while listening. Mm. They want it to be just pleasant to them. You can always, that does not mean you have to downgrade the, the melody and just make everything in four chords or a very simple melody. 
without any thought behind it but if a pop musician is learned he can serve those listeners in a way where he will come up with a melody which is very simple but he will do things in that melody which are not that simple hmm. so it's a very good combination a person a musician can bring to the table so that's why pop music is in itself not bad but if it is done by somebody who is just doing it to get fame and shortcut without learning anything then it's when it sounds very bad <laughs> <laughs> okay, <clears throat> that reminds me that um, your father is quite a well-known singer in his own right. Yes, I mean he is. Uh, we have a category of how you have gospel music. Uh-huh. Gospel. We have something called you have gospel music, uh, mm-hmm. music for the God. Mm-hmm. I would say right, and uh, we have something called as bhajans. Bhajans. Music yeah. for the God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in Hindi. Yeah. So uh, my father is, a, is associated with a foundation called as Sahaj Yoga Foundation, which Sahaja teaches yoga. you self. Okay. Yes, which teaches you self awareness through Kundalini awakening inside you and through chakras awakening inside you. That's and it approaches it in a very scientific way, along mm-hmm. with the spiritual. It's very <clears throat> famous in the Western world. This organization and the founder is uh, Sri Nirmala Mataji. Who's no more in the world physically, but her teachings is what the followers follow. And uh, my father has been associated with for as long as that I can remember. Around I think around wow. maybe thirty years, maybe thirty years, okay. if I'm not wrong, okay, or twenty five for all. So he sings the bhajans of Sahaj Yoga, and his bhajans amongst the Sahaj Yoga followers got extremely popular some uh-huh. of them have even more number of views on the youtube than my <laughs> songs my pop songs now did he but compose he these or did are these also popular bhajans that have been in the in the oh, culture for centuries oh no. my father is a purist when it comes to music he like i do covers cover versions interpreting them in my own way my father if he's doing music he writes them he oh, composes wow. them he sings them so he is like he i think this culture is there in western world also if 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 an artist is an artist then they do all of this what i mentioned hmm. so uh, but and my father is like the same way he always when if it is his project then he make sure that it is his sound his views his words because that is when he says it's mine i can hmm. say he wow. says if somebody if i do somebody else then it's their work but if my wow. my thoughts have to come out then it has to be every department has to be mine that's how he approaches it interesting and, but what about like all those so, famous bhajans by you know like tulsi das or you know any of those famous what? saints yes correct yes they you are right mad bhai they were the most famous bhajan writers in india and and with tulsi das it's like even the western philosophical world has analyzed his his uh, dohas we call them dohas dohas are rhythmical lyrical lines which are perfectly in meter to one another so the meter is never out so they studied those uh, writings of tulsidas the western philosophical worlds in recent times and they were amazed how every single line was in tune with the preceding line and was rhyming with the preceding line just Hang on a moment. I'll have to switch off the motor of water. Okay. So what we have is an alarm system. 
once we switch on the motor for the water to go up in the tank and the tank is filled this uh, alarm system shouts and tells you that the water is now filled Felt. please switch off the motor <laughs> okay the motor is off so now yeah. the water is the motor is off in the tank yeah. yes Very good. <laughs> the water is in the tank and we all can take nice baths after the week right okay so, tosi das um, so was tosi das's uh was it all in sanskrit or was it in the um in the vernacular it was is it was in vernacular it was in okay. the colloquial language being spoken in those times which was mm-hmm. which is still spoken in some part of india like have you heard of mathura and vrindavan these places mm-hmm. vrindavan that's so a, that's a place that krishna loved yes okay. tulsidas was existed in the time when uh, when krishna lord krishna was was worshiped and exist existed so right after lord krishna's uh period tulsidas was there so he has written a lot about lord krishna also okay and he's written in that language that colloquial language tulsidas doesn't that mean like the servant of the flower or something like that oh yes uh not a flower the plant tulsi oh so so we have a plant that we worship it's uh, it's called tulsi it ha- it is like i have i don't know whether it exists in the in the western world this plant but i can show it to you can i can i show it to you sure like can i pick up the phone and walk up to the plant we have it here with us yeah. can i show it to you certainly yeah yeah we'd love to see what the, the tulsi plant lovely one second let me okay, just here we go okay here we go all right all right okay i'll just walk you to my little terrace This is fun. So this is tulsi plant. This. Oh, okay. Yeah, we 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 worship it. So in the like, if we have to do something good, uh, uh, on that particular day, we make sure that we water this plant and looking into the sun. So if you see the, it's morning time. The sun has just risen. Okay. And, uh, and it is watered if you see there is water in it because okay. i think papa must have watered it so early morning when the sun shines on the plant we water it and okay since we got you out on the of, deck as can you sorry? see the himalayas from your deck uh so himalayas oh yes 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 there you go okay wow there you go there you go so it it kind like right now there is no snow there because it's summer time Okay. But in the winters you can see snow also there on the on the upper flaps. That's great. Yeah. So, Madhvai about this tulsi plant, we worship it uh, we we even have a uh, devi, a goddess of tulsi. Oh, okay. Why we worship it is like uh, like we worship it because like personally one second ha huh? I'm sorry. Apologies, lad. We just. Okay. <laughs> There we go. I'm sorry. I'd forgotten that I'm on the video call. I got so engrossed in the conversation. Ah, uh, why can't I see you? Ah, uh, now I can see. So, Madhai, right uh, the <laughs> tulsi plant is okay, a. Okay, hold on. Natural... Before, sorry, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but you keep calling me Madhai, so we yeah. should probably tell people what that means. Oh okay when in india 
we are affectionate towards someone whether they are in our family or outside of family or outside from any part of the world if we feel affectionate and respectful towards somebody then and if they are elder to us then we call them bhai bhai means oh. brother oh okay yes. so so it's like mat bro how people would call you in maybe in america mat bro then i'm calling you mat bhai but okay. uh, a bro bro can be even as like in india we are very <laughs> particular about uh, the relationships so we have we don't call our uncles every uncle just uncle if it is papa's elder uh, elder brother then it is tau ji if it is oh. papa's younger brother then it is chacha ji uh-huh. you understand my point but in western every uncle is an uncle if 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 my if it is my mama's brother it is also an uncle in western world but in india we have particular designated name for every relationship my wow. mama's brother will be my mama ji okay so, so that's, i that's, i've been calling you sahil ji so is that right that, that that's all right because you are elder to me you can call me even sahil ji that's all right because you are elder to me but i want to say ji because i want to be affectionate right uh ji is more respectful than affectionate oh okay more more respectful than affectionate for affectionate it, it would be considered affectionate if you would just call me sahil ji because oh. i'm i'm younger to you because i'm younger to you also the g makes it not as affectionate no g makes it respectful g okay so he'll g, ah, g. g i mean to me it's, it seems like the right thing for me to say so i've been always i've i've always been calling you that okay so that's folks all that's all we know each other we know each other <laughs> i mean yes the two of us have been facebooking each other for facebook messaging each other for several years now right So I still remember the first time I called you. And we talked on the phone. Yeah. Uh the first time I called you on Facebook I had heard your music on the YouTube and I got connected to Pranakasha's page and then I that's where I messaged you then you sent me uh the message on the through the personal profile and I called you. I just dialed you just like that. I don't know why. I mean I just dialed you and we ended right. up speaking for a quite a length of time i think it was like an about hour about head yoga <laughs> head yoga about spirituality <clears throat> and i felt like i knew you forever like i never felt like i'm speaking to somebody just for the first time it felt like we were we always knew each other we have just come in contact now that's how i felt yeah <laughs> i remember that yeah it's always been and, like that ever since that i have always been very you know like i've always had a connection with you and that's why i met bhai that's why i met bhai and that's why you're sahil jitji <laughs> sometimes i call you shri sahil jitji oh that that's right? too much for me i am too young no please i am too young to you 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 don't have to know that's like okay in in, in india the younger ones are always their leg is always pulled they are never given so much respect they are like and because that is the way of showing affection that's just the society thing so i'll tell you for example like my elder brother would uh, like if i tell him about my achievements he would always be ah you could do better <laughs> because he's elder he'll never say like ah you well done oh you could do always better that's how it is like it's just that kind of thing that's great okay <clears throat>
So, <laughs> okay, what ah, are yeah, we? Was talking about why Tulsi. are we talking about? So the, okay. the Tulsi, why we worship oh, yeah, yeah. it? Because scientifically, it is proven to be one of the strongest. Uh, scientifically, it is proven to be the plant with the strongest antibiotic properties, antiseptic oh. properties. Hmm. Yes. So we know it now. We, we worship it because our mothers, our forefathers were worshiping it, but we did not know the reason until, like. Now we know that why they were doing it because the science studied it. Science always studies India's patterns because they feel like it is not done out of blind following. There's always some logic behind us following something. Always. Okay. So why they they studied then the plant and they found it to be extremely, extremely uh, beneficial according to Ayurveda properties and. It has a very strange property. This is very strange, Matt. Why? If you have dirty hands, okay. suppose you have not washed your hands after going to poo poo. I'm I'm just saying. For example, if you touch that plant, if you touch that plant with those hands, that plant will go like it'll be like this. All the leaves will dry out. It is so sensitive to cleanliness. This plant, hmm. like you can't even touch it with the with the unhygienic hands hmm. that is just the way plant has this in its nature can you imagine the plant has such nature wow like normally human beings have this nature and the plants don't have such nature but this particular plant has that nature it's very so that's sensitive. why we are very extremely <clears throat> careful even while touching it because if we have dirty hands from anything dirt or anything and if we touch it it'll it'll how do you say it it'll just die down wow it will recoil yeah. Hmm. Yes, it's such fascinating. <clears throat> like I have done it as an experiment when I was child, though I should not have. But I have done it and seen it for myself. Wow. Okay, so Tulsi Das. So he he acquired that name because that was his seva to take care of the Tulsi plants. Yes, and also that also means in a way, worshipper of God, because Tulsi was God in those times. Still is. We worship this plant, and he was a Das. He was a he was a server. Server. Das means somebody who serves. So he was okay. serving Tulsi, Lord Tulsi, or 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 Goddess Tulsi. That's why Tulsi Das. That's how we are identifying. Okay. Wow. Okay. Now let's back up. Back to your dad. Yeah. <clears throat> Sahaja Yoga. Now Sahaja, I think, means a yoga within. What does Sahaja mean? I Sahaja know. means. Sahaja means something that is done with simplicity. Okay. Easy. Okay. Easy. Like, smooth, okay, yeah, yeah. Smooth, easy. So why she named it Sahaja Yoga was because people thought that yoga was only Hatha Yoga, which mm -hmm. was very difficult to do. And people were, you know, when they saw it, they thought whether I can do it or not. So she named it Sahaja Yoga because her philosophy, Sri Mataji's philosophy said that it was easy to do. It's mm -hmm. easy to explore. She wanted to inculcate that word Sahaj inside it so that people are not averse to doing yoga okay. or they don't get deterred by the ideology of yoga. Because when you, you say yoga, people start immediately thinking, oh, you have to do it in a certain way. Only then you can do it. She said you could do it just by dedicating certain minutes in your day and, and sitting with peace. You don't have to do difficult asanas to achieve what enlightenment is and self-awakening <clears throat> it 
That's why she named it Sahaja Yoga. Okay, so would another translation be like natural yoga? Uh, if you say if it comes naturally to us, in that yeah. sense, yes. Okay, wow. Yeah. Okay, so it's easy. So like just breathing, just sitting and breathing. Yeah. Watching the sitting breath. Sitting and breathing. And, yes, watching the breath and, uh, and focusing the mind. Mm-hmm. in the actual process so you are picturizing and visualizing the kundli getting awakened the chakras getting opened oh, okay so there is that visualization practice visualization practice and every chakra is assigned with god mm-hmm. every chakra okay, is assigned that, okay so we're assuming a lot here so folks <clears throat> chakras what are chakras so in uh yoga oh, sorry, philosophy yes you're right there's there's these energy centers that start um at the bottom of your spine and they're like these glowing lights of energy that are we call they're called chakras and there's like seven main chakras and then um sahiljit was also talking about what the kundalini energy which is also this like spiritual energy that sort of travels within the body and mostly within the central channel that's um associated with the spine and it goes travels through these chakras and purifies the energy and um activates different emotions or different uh spiritual awarenesses or intelligences or however you want to talk about it that's that's sort of what you're talking about right absolutely Absolutely. mad by you have put it in the best words possible so kundalini is when all your seven chakras, the, the the energy has traveled through them, which means all your seven chakras have awakened, that's when your kundalini gets awakened. So kundalini is the eventual goal. Right. Uh, kundalini is what you are getting awakened at the end of seven cycles of chakras being awakened. Right. So yoga, for especially like hatha yoga, which is the different, and he mentioned asanas. The asanas are the postures. So like the different types of things you get your body into. And each one has the ability to kind of change the patterns of energy and has a certain medicinal effect and um, helps direct the energy in different ways within the human body and so True. on. True. Right. True. But... Uh... Yoga is a, can be, for me personally, yoga can be, just for better understanding, divided into two categories. Simply put, one is what you do for your physical health and the okay. second is what you do for your spiritual health. <clears throat> okay. The physical health is the one that is associated with, they are interlinked though. Physical health is what is associated with asanas. The asanas Postures. that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Posture. So, for example, there is a gentleman, for example, who is suffering from backache. He doesn't want to be spiritually enlightened. He has no interest in it. He just wants his backache to be cured. For him, just performing the asanas will help him. Will help him. But if there is somebody who is looking for a holistic development, he wants his health to be physical health to be fine and also be a better human being and be self more aware of himself. Then he has to do the meditation part of yoga as well. 
along with the asanas asanas is what will keep him physically fit and the yoga is what will keep him spiritually fit right of course if you do asanas there's also a little bit of pranayama along with that too right that's why i said they're interlinked you're right yeah yes you're right they are okay. interlinked in a way yeah yes yes so yes there's they that. are and because because yoga is incomplete if it is done without uh, you know if it is done without self awareness it is incomplete without it so as being self aware would require you to meditate in certain way and breathing is the integral part of meditation so they all are interlinked also an integral part of being alive <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's integral part of being self aware it is yeah. breathing for me is so fascinating mad by if somebody is breathing awareingly mm-hmm. then everything around him will change mm-hmm. like that's the simplest thing if somebody asked i can suggest to someone if they were to ask me any suggestions on yoga somebody who has not had any brush with yoga or doesn't want to go into the theory theoretical part of it and doesn't want to and doesn't have that kind of time to invest then i would just simply say just breathe awareingly just be aware of your breath mm-hmm. and if somebody it is the simplest way to take the first step Mhm. Yeah, breathing is so important you are right. It's important to learning. Right. <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> and of course So I mean, it's like I I I if I can if I may draw certainly. an example. Okay. If I may draw an example, we all breathe because we all are living. But what is awareingly breathing? It is like we all gulp food, we all chew. right mm-hmm. we all chew and we all gulp food there is no other way to put food inside us but people ayurveda says people who chew it 32 times right here yeah. and then while eating there should be no distraction while eating your phone you should not look at your phone at your computer you should not even talk so that is called awareingly eating mm-hmm. so you are doing the same process only but you are doing it awareingly so it's little better than doing it non aware same thing with breathing <clears throat> if you are aware and okay how much time have we got now we're getting somewhere what now we're getting somewhere what do you yes. mean being aware what is this being aware process all right <laughs> uh, i think i have touched the subject which is which would take a lifetime to really answer but uh, in my opinion uh, being aware would be to sort of know everything about your own self so it's becoming an encyclopedia <laughs> becoming a google i have never uh, well, yeah yeah good, yeah be, be, become a google search engine of your own self <laughs> okay so okay. what it basically what it basically means is that uh, our existence in this world the very fact that we exist what defines it there are there's one physical me that is existing that you can see there is one uh, 
internal me that i know like the internal organs the internal emotions that i feel and my mentality and then there is third thing consciousness which is what makes gives me life because a dead body is also existing i can see it a dead body also has internal organs it's very much there but it's the consciousness that makes a person living and dead so being aware means how to have everything working for you in sync being present in this world you can't go out of this world if you go out of this world and be aware then you will be called as a recluse because then you are not in for me even a recluse is not self aware because he has chosen the paths to leave everything to be in everything and be then self aware is what for me is an achievement to be existing in this very physical world to live the life without leaving anything and yet be completely self aware of your own self is what i strive to achieve and is for me the full definition of being aware of oneself okay <clears throat> so some people would call that living in the moment right would you call it that yes yes you can say that it's i have always thought about this phrase i have always loved this phrase and it is it can be easily misinterpreted living in the moment because some people think living in the moment is not caring about anything that's not for me that's not true living or living in the moment is without living without thinking of the consequences of your steps that's also not true living in the moment is is more or to do with what i just said and how you said that is what it is it's like we can't just call it uh, you know like i said it can be misinterpreted this particular phrase but it's a very beautiful phrase and if deeply understood it is that's all there is to it living in the moment life that's all there is to it mm-hmm. because what is past we can't access it what is in the future we definitely can't access it and uh, it's just only the moment that we live in is in our control so if we do that to the best of our own existence and ab- abilities then we have lived a wholesome life okay <clears throat> so if you were to describe some qualities like when you when you find yourself in the moment or being acutely self-aware what's so great about that like what's the experience i have experienced uh it's a very interesting question mad bhai thank you for asking this question i have uh, experienced it on some occasions in my life mm-hmm. once i experienced it while performing on the stage live mm-hmm. because i was very in the moment <laughs> so which means is that i was completely unaware of or uninhibited of everything else around me or going in my life i was just there in that particular moment doing what i think i do best on that particular stage in that particular moment and getting the reciprocation the acknowledgement by the audience in front of me which was a reassurance that i was doing what i was doing 
to the best of my abilities in that moment. So mm-hmm. that's when it gave me a sense of recognition and ex- and experience uh, a sense of uh, delivering in in delivering my abilities delivering my abilities and that sense of uh, recognition and acknowledgement from the people in the audience is what completed that chain and made me feel wholesome in that particular moment <clears throat> it was beautiful it was a beautiful experience i have of course i have performed many times i have gotten accolades many times but that particular performance was so in tune because i was happy with my own self my delivery of my art in its completion because i felt like i did well not okay. because not because they think i thought well because first of all i thought that i did best performance <clears throat> in that particular moment so it made me feel complete in that moment and why i was able to do it because i was only focusing on that particular moment so in the west we have a we have a phrase for that where you like you you following your calling yeah and i think the sanskrit word for that would be if you follow your dharma right would you say that like you finally in yes. that moment you did what like you were born to do and you find you finally oh, realized yes. that oh yes oh yes karma that word is another da- i said da- dharma not karma dharma oh you said dharma well, dharma dharma yeah. dharma correct <clears throat> that's your dharma yes correct that's they are closely related dharma and karma they are very very closely related but yes you're right that's my dharma that's what my calling that was i was meant to do that's how i defined myself mm-hmm. and since i was able to deliver it to the 100% of my abilities according to me not according to someone else according to me and after that i got the acknowledgement that yes it was so it kind of becomes like this and gives you a good feeling okay so right in that it. moment though i'm going to go right to that moment <clears throat> are you familiar with the term sanskrit term satchidananda सचिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदानंदिदान
highest motorable road highest motorable road in asia some people say even in the world and there was no other human being it was 360 degree view of himalayas and my bike was just parked there and i put it on the stand and i got up and i just looked around and i had the similar feeling what fascinates me is this i was in a place where there was no human all to myself i experienced the same emotion and i was surrounded by a audience of at least 1000 people in middle of the stage and there also i experienced the same feeling mm. so it's not really the surroundings it's the connection with your own self that gives you that feeling and so that's what fascinates me that this this particular feeling that you get how we started the conversation you asked me that question that when have you felt that so i have felt that being in this world and i felt the same being outside of this materialistic world also and that's what that fascinates me because that draws me to the conclusion that it's not really the surroundings that are dictating your inner growth it's actually you and your mm. own connection with your own self all the time whether you are working in a corporate sector sitting in a cubicle and with whatever you're going through in your life or you are a recluse living in the foothills of himalayas it is always inside you and your own connection that can make you feel that beautiful feeling right so that's what fascinates is and karma has a very big role to play in it karma is a subject that would require a different episode altogether <clears throat> yeah okay all right so we've hit our 90 minute mark which is usually how long these go i mean i've had a few yeah, yeah. a few videos that are like 3 hours long but maybe we should wrap it up <clears throat> maybe we could wrap it up and continue with something else because i would love to chat with you over okay so yeah it was a pleasure mad bhai thank you so much for inviting me again i follow your channel it is it is i would say a pandora of knowledge <laughs> it is like you know there are people from different walks of life who come and share their experiences so your channel is such a dynamic place of knowledge music art and i i hope that everyone who tunes in gets their time worth and i hope that uh, you continue to spread happiness and wisdom through your music through your channel and i wish all the best to you and your channel and to you too and we oh we can need to put some links in the description we're going to put a link to your kunrus project youtube oh, channel that'll be nice thank you that'll be nice and then also maybe some of your latest songs cuz i noticed on your channel there's some of uh, there's some songs where you're actually singing or playing the guitar yes. with it's i can probably i can probably leave i have made a playlist i have curated a playlist in which i have uh, sung because the other songs i have produced there are many songs on my channel but i have not sung in all of them the ones that i have sung in i have made a playlist for it maybe i'll leave a link of that playlist if 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 that's all right okay sure everything anything like yeah. that and then we'll find some pictures to put up above like we always do and uh awesome. then we will make an agreement that we're we'll come back and talk some more about all this stuff. Yeah. Yes, man bye. Amazing. Anytime. Okay. It is always a pleasure to just speak to you. Yes, you too. So I should say You have a 
you have a beautiful evening you sleep sound i hope you have big dreams i you i hope you achieve all those dreams <laughs> <laughs> yeah cuz it's time for me to go to bed over in where you're you're just getting up you're on the other side I, of the planet yeah. that's why i look like this <laughs> i just got up <laughs> and that's why i look like this i'm about to fall asleep <laughs> yes there you go yeah that's very good right, okay right. so namaskar namaste namaskar shubhratri good yes. night shukriya dhanyavad shub Shubhratri. Good Shubhratri. night. Shubhratri. Yes. So Shubh is good. Ratri is night, right? Yes. Shubhratri. Sahiljitji. Take care. Man, Take care. Till next time. Until next time. Fantastic creations emerging spontaneously from the space of life. For the benefit of all beings everywhere. We gotta 